Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our second week in our conversation called Reach Point the Way as we're talking through this series about why our life matters and what it is that Jesus called us to do when it comes to the, everybody else in the world and what's important in living that out. So last week, we talked a little bit about the vision, vision of our church and, and uh, where God's leading us to be compassionate people and contagious. And, and so this week, um, we're going to talk a little bit about, about story. Now, when it comes to story, you know, you think about story, and for thousands of years, story has been essential to humanity. It's a huge part of our lives and how, how cultures and people have been influenced by story. And we, I mean, as, as Americans, we are one of the most influenced people for story. And, it's, and this has been true. It's not just, just us, but we tell our stories. We're, we're, we listen to stories. We're, we love stories. And so, like, when I think about stories, I think about stories like maybe this one that you've read. You probably read this one, right, growing up in high school, or at some point in college, you had to read the Iliad, the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, and you're, or some of you are like me, they just, you just read the cliff notes of it, but it was good. I mean, the cliff notes were great. Um, unfortunately, I don't think they made a movie of the Iliad yet, right? So I would have just watched that. In fact, my whole, my whole take on the whole reading book and movie thing, those of you who are readers, you know how you're always like... Yeah, I saw the movie. It just, it didn't do the book justice. You just convinced me never to read books because it ruins the movie. So that's, that's my new theory. Anyway, so Iliad, great story, influenced a lot of people. Or maybe this one, Wonderful Life. It's a wonderful, like every Christmas, you know? And you, when you watch The Wonderful Life, like some of you can name the, the kind of the morals, the what you've been inspired, the reason that you watch it every Christmas, right? It makes you, what's it make you do? You reflect on your life, don't you? You think about what's really important. And that story, the reason that it's lasted so long is because it's important. It, it, it changes your perspective. Or maybe this one, right? Pay it forward. Who hasn't, how many of you know that phrase, right? Pay it forward. It just came from a book and a movie. And you know that. You know what that means when someone says you got to pay it forward because of that story, because of that story. Or this one, Right? Family man. Pastor Rick was just telling me, like, this came out in a season where he was really trying to work on priorities in his life. And he said, man, I saw that movie and it just, it transformed my perspective about the kind of man I wanted to be in my own family and where I was, how I was going to prioritize work and family. It really made me adjust things. So, like, so these stories have this huge impact on our life. Like this one, for example. The Princess Bride, right? Like, how many of us haven't been impacted by The Princess Bride? No more rhyming, and I mean it. See, some of you, how many of you have not seen The Princess Bride? Okay, I just want to let you know you haven't lived, okay? So go, go stream it on Netflix this afternoon and go find out what you're missing. So huge movie. Actually, I had a lot of fun with this movie. When I think about this movie, it's really not the story as so much as the people that watched the story with me many times, right? I mean, Carmen and I have watched many times and now repeat the phrases, but we don't really have anything to talk about if it wasn't for The Princess Bride. We, every, all of life is framed in The Princess Bride now, right? Inc- I don't think that word means what you think it means. Anyway, so, all right, Princess Bride. Or this one, right? Like, who, right? Like, listen, there's a whole lot of children in the world who have never been named Marv because of this movie. Right? Like, people saw this movie, like, never could name my child Marv now, ever, in a thousand years. You get my point, though. Story makes 
a difference. Story makes a difference. Why is it that it's so important? Because story, and when we hear someone's story, it frames how we interpret life. It's, it's the interpretation of life. When we make decisions, we have to make decisions, and we make decisions through people's stories. If you don't believe me that you don't make the stories, decisions through people's stories, then tell me when you go out to Amazon, how do you decide if you're going to buy a product? Is it by the manufacturer description? Mm-mm. It's by what? What are you going to look at? The reviews. Because you want someone's story. That's what makes you decide if this is really true by listening to the story. If you're, if you're like my wife, my wife, where we plan a trip somewhere, do you know how she decides what's really good to go to and what you should do? She asks people. It doesn't matter what the websites say. It matters about what the people who have been there that she knows say about going to that place. Story. Our reality demands interpretation. It does, right? Where you live and how you live and how you see the world, it demands that you interpret what your circumstances and what your life is all about. And that's where story comes in. That's why it's important. And story points the way for other people. Your story points the way to something for other people. Everyone's story. And sociology teaches us that it's in our relationships, our existing framework of relationships, where story matters. Where someone knows something about you because you work with them or you're a neighbor or you have some overlap with them, those are the stories that matter most because they know you. And, and those change stories, those stories of changed life. We'll talk more about this, but that stories of changed life and how God's story intersected your story, and when that converged, it changed who you are. Those stories are the most important stories. In fact, those are the stories that, that Jesus, before leaving the planet, last words to us were like, you will be my witnesses. In other words, you will be my storytellers. You will be the ones who will tell the stories that will help people see life for what it really is. And today, we're going to look at that story. And and too often, we downplay our own story. And so today, we're going to look at the story of a man whose life converged with Jesus, and his story impacted thousands of people. And we're going to ask this question of your own story, how your story, if you don't downplay it, where it converges with God, could change people's lives, could impact people around you. And essentially, this man's story, if if you just boiled it all down to it, and this is what we're going to look at today, this man's story was simply this. You saw who I was. You see who I am. Jesus made the difference. It's just that simple. And that's your story, too. If you've been following Jesus as a Jesus follower, this is your story. This is what has power in people's lives. And so if you want to Pull out this thing that looks like the scoop today. You can follow along in the outline, take notes. You can see the scriptures that we're going to walk through with this story from Mark chapter 5 this morning. Our story points the way. And this is what we're looking at this morning is how does our story point the way? When does it point the way? Well, it points the way in our own story. It makes our own story powerful and a catalyst when we truly desire for Jesus to transform us. When we have this true and deep and desperate desire for change. Everybody wants change. Don't you observe this in life? Isn't this just true in life? What is all the barrage of how-to books about? Why do people watch all the reality television about changing their house or losing weight or whatever it is? Why do you watch it? Because you want change. You desperately want change. Why else do people get up 
on a Sunday morning at oh dark whatever to come out on a gray day when they could be instead home drinking a cup of coffee on their own and reading their newspaper. Why do they do that? I believe it's because you want change. Because you're looking for something new in your life that God could give you. That's why you show up here. And the question is, this is what it really boils down to in our own stories that makes them powerful or not, is what kind of change do you want? What kind of change do you want in your own story? Do you want, like, this is what most of us want, right? God, could you just fix my story? Could you just, like, I don't like my story the way it is, I don't like my circumstances the way I could just sprinkle a little magic dust. Like, tell me about the secret incantation. I can pray and dance around. And this is what people have done for, isn't this the story of religion for thousands of years? Do a little secret dance, say a little magic incantation, and then maybe the gods will bring down change in your life. But this is not the story of Jesus. This is not what he does. So when you think about like, and you could want behaviors to change. You could even want good things like, you know what? I want to act kinder. I want to not be so angry. I want to not do this. Or I want to to act this way with the people around me. But here's the thing. And we've been reading this book called Soul Care by Rob Reamer, who's going to be here in January, because we believe this is a powerful part of our own story, is what our own soul, the condition of our own soul. And this is what he says. He says, God is far less concerned with our behavior than we think. He is much more concerned about our hearts than we will ever know. And that is true of God. He's so much more concerned about our hearts than anything else. And you see, if all you want is a better situation or a better behavior, if that's how you see the Bible and Scripture and your, your own story is just becoming a better person, changing good behaviors, If that's all it is, then you've reduced the Bible to another how-to book. And you've reduced your relationship with God to another story of self-actualization. And it's no wonder that people aren't interested. They've got a thousand of those out there. But for some of you, you know this, you've experienced a deeper change in your life. You've experienced that tipping point. You know the one if you've experienced where something snapped inside of you. Something changed so deeply that in your story, there is this, there's this season or this moment where there was this pivotal thing that happened, and in you, it changed how you saw life and how you walked through life. And you weren't just like acting differently. You were different. You were deeply changed. And God became very real in your story. And you knew, and you have a place that you look back to when your things aren't going the way you want. You look back to it and you say, no, 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 I know God's real. Have you ever asked yourself, for those of you who experienced that kind of deep interchange, what made the tipping point? What was that convergence? What happened and what are the key factors that actually changed your story to become that powerful of a story? I want you to think about that, that moment that transformed everything. What, what is the tipping point of it? Because we're going to read the story in You need to keep that question in your mind as you read the story because there's a lesson to be learned through this story as well. So here's the story. It's from Mark chapter 5. Jesus is ministering. He's got these guys with him called the 12 disciples. He's teaching them. They're learning from him. And and they often go out on their, some of them were fishermen. So you often find them out on a boat, you know, doing a little fishing on their way to some place. 
And uh, this story is no different. They kind of, they go out and they, they go fishing, whatever they're doing, they come across this sea, this lake called the Lake of Galilee. It's like the great lake of the Israel and Syria and all that region. And uh, they, they decide to hit shore. You know, they're hungry. Mom made them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And so they're, they're going to they're gonna hit the beach and they're going to eat. And so they come off on the beach. And in Mark chapter 5, this is where the story picks up. And they're, where they're landing at is not a known region to, if, like, if you're a Jewish person, it would, or if you're, you know, it's a place that like you wouldn't normally land. You might not know everybody there. It's like for some of you who live on the West Shore, you're like, oh, so it was like they, they went across on the, to the East Shore. I'm like, yeah, it's like that, you know. So those of you who are on the East Shore, it's like, oh, they went to the West Shore. Right, it's exactly like that if you live in this area. That's where they landed, this unfamiliar territory. People didn't really know God and what he was like there. It was just a whole different region. They'd never, this is not people who were steeped in Jewish tradition. So verse 2 of Mark chapter 5. So they arrived on the other side of the lake, in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the cemetery to meet him. How'd you like that as your little greeting party this morning, right? Like, like you get out of the boat, your mom's told you about people like this anyway, and you get out of the boat, and the first person to meet you is this crazy looking person coming out of a cemetery. What do you do? You back away slowly, you get in the boat, and you're like, row, 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 right? Like, this is what we would do. This is, but this is not the story that we encounter with Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's describe this man so you can get an idea. Mark describes him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Even with a chain. And whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as often as he was. So he was often chained and shackled. So whenever he was put into chains and shackles, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. Now we know this guy's story. He's Bruce Banner. And he turns into the Hulk. And, you know, I mean, so if you're wondering the story, there's the parallels. This is where they actually came up with that story. But you, you get this, right? Like they chained him and this guy breaks these chains, smashes his shackles. He is unconstrained. He is wild. He is out of control. He is not your best buddy. He is the reason you avoid the cemetery. I mean, when you go there to take flowers to your mom's grave, you are on the lookout for this guy and you're going to get out of Dodge quickly if he shows up. This is this guy. Day and night, he wandered the barrel caves on the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. You get the picture here. This is not like your average person just coming out to seek you. And Jesus, Jesus is there amongst him. And when Jesus says, goes on in verse 6, says, when Jesus was some distance away, the man saw him and he ran out to meet him and bowed low before him. Now, you'll see at the end of the verse that Jesus has already said somewhere as on his approach, come out of you, you evil spirit. He's recognized. This guy is not just out of his mind. This guy is possessed. And if we read the story, you'll actually see that he's not just possessed by a demon. He is possessed by a legion of demons. And and scholars actually believe because of the way what we know from history is that witch doctors in that day would actually often do foreign exorcisms, but they needed a place for the spirit to go because the spirit didn't want to just be without possessing someone. And so it would land them on this guy. This guy was like a magnet. You know, he was like the infomercial for like, need a place for your demons to go? We've got your guy. Right here he is. And so this guy actually was a host to him. And so the, the community around there probably used him as a lightning rod. 
And so they were willing to put up with him because of that. But this guy is in that place. And, and so Jesus calls out and says, come out of an evil spirit. And here's the thing that you need to know. If you're an evil spirit and you encounter Jesus, you want to run the other way. Because you know what Jesus is going to do. And you don't want anything to do with it. You recognize the stories of Jesus and evil spirits always have the evil spirit recognizing Jesus' authority. There's no challenge there. Because they recognize him as God. And so, so if you're an evil spirit, you run the other way. What happens in this passage? Do you see it? This man, here it is, when Jesus was some distance away, this man ran to meet him. Despite all the disinterest of this legion of demons in him that make him cut himself and do all of this damage to his soul, despite of all of that, he runs toward Jesus. This is not the demons controlling him. This is something more than that. Something else. And, and it goes on to say then that the with a shriek, he screams. And this is where Mark is telling us, this is the evil spirits then speaking. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus has already said to the spirit, come out of him, you evil spirit. See, seeking Jesus out, that was normal. What was abnormal is someone in this guy's condition seeking Jesus out. People sought Jesus out to help the people they knew in that condition. So there's something different going on. And, and the, the real thing that's going on here too is when this happens, if you keep reading the story, you see Jesus confront the evil spirit and cast the spirit out. And it's this whole legion of demons. And they actually go and they go into this whole herd of pigs. A pig herd? I don't know. It's pigs. Pigs are a, a jackal. I don't know what the pigs are. But anyway, goes into this, all these pigs and they run off this edge of this cliff. And everyone's like, whoa, what just happened here? And this becomes part of the story. And when all of this goes down and all of this happens and people witness it, they are overwhelmed by it. Because Jesus has set this guy free. Like he has totally changed. And people see it. Now, now you might be like, well, yeah, well, that's... That's not my story, though, because I, I'm not possessed. You know, I don't know how many of you here are possessed by evil spirits this morning, but that's a whole different thing. We've got to have a conversation with that after the service, and if the, if the person beside you is, just nudge them a little bit this morning, like, and it's you. And so this morning, here's the thing. When it comes to being possessed by something, we might not be possessed by evil spirit, but more than likely we're possessed by something that has kept us from that transformation by something that has held us hostage and we're afraid to take another step towards Jesus and say, will you do something in me? Something that has kept us from saying, I don't want just my situation changed. I want to be changed. And I'm willing to take a chance with you, God, to change whatever it is, to do whatever it is, to change me. That's what I want deeply. And I'm willing to run to you. And I'm willing to bow low before you and be changed. And we all need Jesus to drive that out of us through his love and compassion and who he is. Now, you remember this question that we asked, what is the tipping point? What's the tipping point for that kind of change in our life? I remember when I was in college and I was coming to, to know Christ, and I knew about the Bible and I knew about God, but I didn't really want him to be in control of my life and 
remember going to college, and, and I went to Penn State, um, in State College, University Park, and I got dropped off, and I'd been in Navy ROTC, so I'd been to basic training, and they had just enough time to mock us and beat us down, but not enough time to build us back up as a team. And so they drop you off in this, like, condition of, like, like just you've been, like, your self-confidence has been wiped out and, like, all of this other stuff, and then you're dropped off, and I didn't know a soul. I didn't, I didn't room with someone I knew. I didn't know anyone when I dropped off at campus. So I got dropped off by Navy ROTC. My parents went me there. They moved us in. I remember them leaving that night and just feeling this overwhelming alone, on my own, no self-confidence, and thinking, how am I going to make it here? Like when it, here, I'm just another guy amongst a lot of other people. There's a lot of people here smarter than me and better than me and better looking than me, better hair than me. I actually had hair back then, but I, I, I was overwhelmed. And in that moment, I remember beginning this journey of saying, God, if you're real, I need you. And I, remember, I can name many, definitely some several moments in those times where I got desperate, where I was alone at night in my dorm by myself, and I just went, God, I don't know what life's about, but it's got to mean more than what I've been pursuing, and I need you. And I can't do this on my own anymore. And I am desperate and I am willing to run to you and bow low before you and say, Jesus, will you do something in me? Will you make my life mean something? I need you. I was willing at that point to give up my agenda and to say, God, Jesus, I know that your agenda is better. See, that's the best part of this guy's story. He is desperate. He desires real change. And and the beginning of any journey of transformation, the beginning of any great story when it comes to Jesus, begins with this, with a true desire for change. Not change in my circumstance, not change in my behavior, change of who I am. To have God intersect with my life, to stop living my own story apart from God and say, God, I need you to be part of my story, and I'm willing to take a chance. I'm willing to take a chance. It says in Mark 5.15 that the crowd gathered around Jesus after this guy's healed. The crowd gathers around Jesus, and they saw this man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Now, you have to understand, the reason that they gather around Jesus is because the guys who took care of their pigs went to town and said, the pigs are all drowned in the ocean. And so all these people come out to see what happened to the pigs. And instead, what they see, it's this man that they knew about. And he is sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane. And they were so happy. They were so excited. They were like, wow, this is fantastic. They were like, "Woo, man, I can't believe, dude, you're finally standing. I can visit my mother's grave and I don't have to worry about being attacked. I am so excited. Like, no. Do you get how surprising this is? And they were all afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid. Because if Jesus could give this guy more than shackles and chains to restrain him, if Jesus could heal this guy the way he healed them, if he could cast out these demons, if he had that much power, what couldn't he do? And they were afraid. 
nothing because nothing would be beyond him. But see, for you and I, we know the whole story of Jesus and all that he did to lay down his life on the cross. We know that Jesus is not a power-hungry person, angry at us, trying to get at us, that Jesus has proved that God loves us and pursues us. And so we, when we hear the story, aren't afraid. We're hopeful. That could be my story. If God could do that for him, what could God do for me? What could Jesus do in my life? That's the real story here. And that's the place that some of us need to make that choice. That place in our life where we've got to say, if God could do that for me, it really comes down to my choice. Am I willing to give up my agenda yet and say, God, my circumstance is not good. My life is not great. I do desire. Not just that you change that circumstance, but that you change me. That you let me live beyond this. That you do something so deep in me that no matter what situation or circumstance I find myself in, it doesn't matter. Because I know of this connection to God. That there's a supernatural Jesus working in me. And I have the power of God to change me. If you fully desire that and you ask for it, he will. That's his desire. And then you start living a story that matters. And see, when your story becomes powerful is when you live the story that matters and it points the way. And that's, that's the second lesson in this story is that our lives, our story really points the way and it matters when our lips and our lifestyle match. When our lips and lifestyle match. Now, hey, we all have this problem, don't we? Matching our lips and our lifestyle. We all like to say that we're not hypocrites, but the truth is, it's hard to make your lips and lifestyle match. I mean, if you don't believe me, just try running for the presidential office, right? I mean, it's not easy. I mean, my, I remember as growing up as a kid, my dad used to have this saying, do as I say, not as I do, especially when it came to his garage, because he would, he would make a disaster of his garage. He was always out there working, and then we would, as kids, we would get assigned the spring cleanup duty, and so we'd clean up the whole garage, and then later, he'd find tools out. He'd be like, what, I, you were in here, clean up your tools, and we are like, Dad, like we have to clean this thing up every spring because you leave all the tools out, and you're really going to get on my case about leaving that wrench out on the bench, really? And he's like, do as I say, not as I do, right? And it, you want to know how that works out? Try it with your kids. Then ask Sue's how my garage looks like, <laughs> right? I mean, I didn't learn the lesson because lips and lifestyle didn't match. And if you've experienced real change, real different living, like you know someone whose lips and lifestyle match, you're drawn to that story. You're drawn to that person. And, and, and their life begins to compel you and make you care about things that you wouldn't normally care about, that you wouldn't normally be compelled by because you want to be with them and you want to be around them. You know someone like that in your life? Someone whose lips and lifestyle match, who lived this life of honor, who are a Jesus father, and you're like, I just want to be around them. I really enjoy their presence. It's like being around and sitting in God's presence. Let's see, this is what this guy experienced. He had met Jesus like that, and he, he basically says to Jesus in Mark 5, 18, he says, as Jesus was getting to the boat, the man who had the demons possessed by him begged, begged Jesus to go with him. He's begging Jesus to go with him. But Jesus says, no, go home to your family and tell them what the Lord has been done to you and been merciful to you. So the man started off to the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed by what they told him. 
Now, you need to understand that Jesus' go-to line in the Gospels, if you read the Gospels, what's Jesus' go-to line? Follow me. Follow me. Everybody knows it. Follow me. And when this guy says, I want to follow you, Jesus says, no. Your story is powerful. And it's going to make an impact and a difference. And your life has been so changed. You need to go be around the people that know you. And you need to let God's story be told through your life. And what's really fascinating is when Jesus comes back to this area, and you ought to read this in Mark chapter 7, it is fascinating to see what happens when Jesus lands in this area again and all the amazing things and the amazing amount of people who come to seek him all as a result of this man's story that had a huge impact on the community around him. i got to ask you, what, what if your story had that kind of impact? What if your life... And your lips matched in such a way that your story would impact people so deeply around you that they wanted to be around you, that they wanted to hear more, that their life could be impacted by God. How many people in your life could use some of Jesus' goodness and life-changing power and forgiveness and grace and the ability to live differently, but not just act differently, but be different through your story? And I believe this is where it gets tricky for most of you, many of you who have lived in the church for a long time, you've gone to church for a long time, and you've begun to believe this lie that your story isn't worth telling. That, that you didn't, well, I wasn't possessed. I, don't, I didn't like smoke drugs and run off a cliff and survive the fall. I didn't like jump out of an airplane and hit the ground and survive it. Like I don't, I don't have a story to tell. My story isn't worth telling. And, and this is a lie that the devil likes you to believe. Because you might go, well, well, I just don't have, how do I, how do I tell that story? Or how do, I, how do I point to God's power? And I haven't really experienced God's power recently. How do, I, how do I point to that in my life? How do I tell the story that's powerful? Or you go, I, I don't have a happy ending to my story right now. Like I'm in the middle of these circumstances and there's no happy ending yet. How do I tell that story? And I want to encourage you that every place in your life and every circumstance that you endure, God is there. And the Holy Spirit is inviting you to invite in the power of Jesus into that situation and in that circumstance. You know, you've all heard me say, like, you know that saying of God won't give you more than you can handle? Christians love to say that thing. It's totally not true. It's not in the Scripture. Of course God would give you what you can't handle because it's in the moments where you can't handle it that you turn to him and you say, I want to totally depend on you. I can't do this. It's in those moments that our story have power when we stop trying to handle them on our own and we are desperate for God and we say, God, will you come into my story right here, right now? And in the most painful and difficult parts of my own story are the parts where I've been most transformed by Jesus and where my story was the greatest because I was just trying to follow Jesus. And people were like, I can't believe you decided or you did that or you acted that way. And I'm like, I didn't. I just followed Jesus. And Jesus did the rest in me. I'm not a naturally kind person. It's not who I am. Ask my family. God has been doing this work in me for years. And that's my story. If it weren't for Jesus, this is who I'd be. And that's your story. And it is powerful. And it will change people's lives. And frankly, I think... When we have apathy about our stories, it is the devil's greatest tool to keep you 
from living a life that matters. Because you're satisfied. You're just like, oh, well, you know, I mean, life's good enough. I'll just, I'm distracted. I'm busy. I'm not really thinking about the things that God's done in my life. I'm not open to it. And that is the devil's greatest tool to make your life not matter, to make your story not matter. Because if you live that life and then you are conscious of the things that God's doing in you and the invitations he offers you and you experience that power, that would change the world. That is changing the world. And God's just inviting you to join him in it. Your story is powerful when it's lived. And when you live out your story that way, do you know what happens for other people? They see life through your lens for just a brief moment. And it gives them hope. Reality demands interpretation. And your story provides for them an interpretation they've never known. That God's not mad at them. That God's not out to get them. That they're not living life on their own under a supreme being who doesn't really give a link that Jesus is very personal and very involved and wants a relationship and is pursuing them. And if they'll pursue him with true desire, their whole life will be different. And they'll be loved. That's, that's a powerful story. Your story is powerful because it is unique to you. It is irrefutable. No one can refute your story and your story of change because it's your story. Your story is powerful because it is the story of redemption. It is a story of heart change. And your story isn't just words. It's life. This great story um, Alan Starner was telling me, he was reading the story about the history of Christianity in Japan. And as he, read, he told it, I asked him to kind of summarize it for me. And here it is. In the 1800s, found several different denominations who had come to Japan. And Honda Yoshi was a samurai who was a brilliant academic and found his way to Christ through observing these missionaries, how they conducted themselves. And he was drawn to two different denominations, one who just talked a lot about information and the way, and one who lived it out. One, he said, the denomination of action. And so Honda Yoshi said of a certain Methodist missionary, in order to obtain an understanding of Christianity, reading books and listening to lectures by scholars is good. But even more important is to experience the impact of a living witness who has led to a rich spiritual life. The work of the missionaries is the work of God, and the coming into personal contact with them and other spiritual leaders is how you can come to know and really know your faith. Honda later became a missionary. And in a culture that resisted Western ways and religion, that story was most convincing because it was told with someone's life. And most people don't know later that he would start a certain motor company, Honda Motor Company. That's totally not true. I made that up. So some of you were like, I have a Christian minivan. That's so cool. That's totally, I don't even know if that's true or not. But what the important part of the story is this, right? It is a life that's lived that makes a difference. And this, this guy says, listen, it is not the information I received that was important. It was the story that was told through someone's life that was lived in a life that follows Jesus. And the Christian life story, the story of life change, you need to understand this if you're a Jesus follower. This is really important, that the story of life change when it comes to Christianity, is, it's only limited by our desperateness and our willing to live it out. And, and this is really important that it's not, it's not about telling a story where it's about, mm, you know, I'm a little bit better. I'm, I'm a little bit better of a person. And, and we've got those stories everywhere, right? Like, 
look, I did X and Y, and now my life has changed. I went to the gym, and I got a coach, and now, look, I've lost weight, and I've become a better person. You can, you can do X, Y, and Z, and go to certain places, and story, you say, well, my life was a wreck, then I did X, Y, and Z, and then I found this, and this is a, now I have this good life, and I, I do all these great things, and this is, this is not the Christian story. You know what it is? It's this, right? It's the selfie story. Hey, look at me. I'm the hero of my story. Look what I did. And we're all tempted to do that. We're all tempted to be the hero of our story. It is our temptation as humans to be the hero. We want to be the hero of our story. Look what I did. Look how I managed it. Look at the good choices I made. But the truth is, the Christian story, it's not a story where you're the hero. It's a story where Jesus is the hero. It's a story where life has changed because Jesus is in it. It is not a how-to story about how you did certain things and that made it better. It is not just another self-actualization religious story, which is the religion of our day. Self-actualization, be your best. That's the story of our day. This is not, this is not the Christian story. The Christian story is one, this is Jesus' story where he intersects our story and we experience love like we never have. We experience true forgiveness from our past. We have a new story and it requires us to repent and it requires us to believe that God was in the flesh, came to pursue us and change us and gives us grace and he's no longer angry with us and he's no longer bitter and we are following God and we have surrendered and we've been baptized we're like, man, my whole life now belongs to God. That's not a normal story. That's a story where God is your hero. That's a story that is totally surrendered to the living Christ. That is the Christian story. Your story points to the way when Jesus is the hero and when you truly desire him to be the hero and when you can tell it with your lips and your life in such a way that it points to God. That's this man's story. You saw who I was. You see who I am. It was Jesus who made the difference. That's your story. Your story can have an impact like that on people in your life that you know. You don't know where they're going to spend eternity. You don't know what their life is going to be like. You don't know what kind of choice they're going to make. You see the train wreck around them. You see the interior of their life. You see the harriedness of their soul. And you say, I want that for you. I want you to know that you're loved by God. That God's not angry with you. I want you to know what it's like to have a relationship with the God who created you and has an amazing thing for your life. I want you to know what it's like to give up your own agenda and live out the story that God wrote for you from the very beginning of time and wants to write for you even now. God's writing his story in your life. So I want to challenge you this morning to think about what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Will Will you reach in your program guide right now and just pull out your response card? Because I want you to record, what are you going to do with that this morning? Your story makes no difference at all if you're not going to do something with it. So for some of you, listen, God, you know that God's intersected your story. But you have a hard time telling it. You have a hard time saying it. When it comes up, you're like, like you can't get it out. And so you just need to finish this sentence this week. Here it is. If it weren't for Jesus, I'd finish the sentence. What would your life be like if it weren't for Jesus? You just need to be able to articulate that in a way that it matters to people's lives. For some of you, you know you have a life story of Jesus change. 
You know you can articulate it. You, you, it doesn't take you 30 minutes where you lose people because it takes you 30 minutes to get it out. But you, you could have a real conversation with someone. But you think about the circles of influence that God's given you. And it's been a while since you told your story, since you pointed to Jesus as the hero. And the question for you this morning is who is in your life that God's working in? They're waking up to God might be interested. They're becoming more aware of that God might love them. And it's your moment to say, where can I join God? Who is that person that you need to pray for and say, God, I desperately want them to know. And I want to be able to tell them when you give me opportunity. And for some of you, you've been seeking God for a long time. You've been coming to daybreak and you're like checking God out. And you, you may have been religious. You may have all these things in your story. But the truth is, you've never been to that place and had that moment, that tipping point where you said, I am desperate. God, I don't need you just to change my circumstance. I need you to change me. I don't want to be a bitter person anymore. I don't want to be an angry person anymore. I don't want to have at the seat of my being all of these things that disrupt me and steal my joy. I want to find the joy that you meant me to have no matter what circumstance I'm in. And today is your day to say, I want to make that decision. To just say, Jesus, I am desperate for you. I need your help. Change my life. Change who I am. Forgive my past. I'm done with my agenda. I want yours. I'm committing my life to be surrendered and to follow you. This is what God desires for every one of us. So I just want to take a moment. I want to pray over you. I want to give you an opportunity to consider what's your response this morning that you need to record, that you need to write down, that you need to put a mark in the ground about. Let me pray. Jesus, you love us so much. Jesus, there are people in our lives, they don't know your power. They don't know what they could have in you. They don't know the story of how you've rescued us and transformed us, how we're loved and forgiven and set free, how we walk in grace and peace. So empower us, God. Each of us, put a name on our hearts and power us to tell our story that you are writing with hope and with conviction. And Jesus, I know that there's some people here too that they need Jesus today. And they need a story that says, Jesus, I am desperate for you. And so I pray for them that this could be their prayer this morning, right now in this place. Jesus, I'm desperate for you. I love you. Forgive me. Give me a new day. From here on out, I want to live the story that you're writing for my life, not my own. In Jesus' name.